Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Legitimate Likes, the podcast where we take a look at some of humanity's most popular fascinations and we try to work out, are they really worthy of the hype? They may be likes, but are they legitimate likes? My name is Hugh and I'm kind of flying solo this week in terms of our uh, hosts. Will is traveling at the moment. Will is unavailable at the moment, but I'm very glad to be joined by a guest this evening. And our guest is Senator, Barrister podcaster Barry Ward. Hi Barry. Thanks very much you. How are you? I, I gotta admit I, I've listened I've listened to the podcast and I kind of always assumed that opening intro was the same one for every episode. I didn't you realize you did it fresh every time. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that either. And clearly <laughs> I was gonna say listen in for the tiny differences, but maybe it is exactly the same. Um, yeah we really should record it and just use it every time. But it feels feels fresh, you know? Um, how are you, Barry? This is you're a you're a listener, long time listener, first time contributor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you've probably got the most impressive array of um, occupations of any of our guests. Obviously, foremost among them, podcaster. Obviously, that's the one that brings in the big bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're really looking to pull in some of our political listeners by uh, by having Senator Barry Ward on the podcast. Well, you know? I, I'm ashamed to say that uh, for the want of money, we have actually. I don't know how long it's been since the Irish Legislation podcast published an episode. It's certainly weeks, but we have one uh, which I hope will be out uh, in the in the by the time this goes out. Maybe it'll be out at the same time. I don't know, but um, there's, there are two coming anyway. So 
apologies mm. to anyone who does actually listen to it and they haven't heard I mean, from us for, for a the, while. I mean, for the want of money, we keep releasing episodes. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're just hoping that at some point someone's going to pick up on this. Yeah, so you're you're a, uh, you're a senator in the Irish Shannon, which is one of the, the two houses of parliament in Ireland. We are hoping, to be honest, that people are going to look at this and think you're involved in a, in a feisty midterm in North Carolina later this year. <laughs> North Carolina, I don't think that's me at all now. I think I think I'd be more kind of New England somewhere, maybe an obscure state like Maine, um, mm. possibly New Hampshire, you know, maybe following in Bartlett's footsteps or something equally nerdy. Is that how you see yourself as a politician? Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this uh, today, and obviously there are legal dramas. There are also political dramas, and one of the things we complain about the legal dramas. I know I'm cutting ahead from where you are and all the rest, is how unrealistic they are. But you know, on the other hand, political dramas, something like the West Wing, is just such an accurate reflection of my day to day life that it's uncanny. <laughs> yeah, you certainly you do talk very very fast, I <laughs> and I, I always talk and walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say, I I went and, and rewatched The West Wing recently just because it's nice to sort of imagine a world where politicians are smart and try to do their best, you know, <laughs> which is not not taking a knock at you, Barry. But yeah, not at all. <laughs> no. Although the other thing I've noticed is you watch those, uh, you watch The West Wing, and obviously, particularly in the early seasons, I mean, you could fit three Leo McGarrys into his suits. My <laughs> God. <laughs> The, the fashion sense feature, wasn't yeah. great there. Yeah, just <laughs> and shoulders Leo out. in all of them as well. Leo McGarry, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Shoulders as, as far as the eye can see. Hmm. Um, speaking of appalling fashion, though, I suppose we should bring in our producer. Um, <laughs> hey, if, I, if I'd been organised, I would have set you up with a better segue. But <laughs> it's quite all right. Hi, guys. Thanks for, thanks for bringing me in. I was just uh, dealing with all the hate mail we're getting from our, our, our main listeners uh, who've been described as living in an obscure state, but that's fine. We didn't need them anyway. That's, uh, that's cool. God, I'm surprised they were able to get that mail in so quickly. <laughs> yeah, our so first remote. live episode. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but Barry, as you said, this week we're talking about courtroom dramas. Uh, the high stakes courtroom scene has been a staple of countless TV series and movies. So we're asking by scre- why screenwriters keep going back to the courtroom and whether it's really that entertaining and whether it's a legitimate like. Um, Barry, obviously you're a senator, uh, but today we're asking you to, to take off that hat, a lovely hat it is, um, and put on your other hat. Because uh, obviously, Barry, you're a, a criminal barrister. You've worked in both defence and prosecution. You practice here in Ireland, but you're also uh, counsel before the International Criminal Court. So you're very well placed to tell us whether courtroom dramas are any great shakes. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that Hugh worked as a criminal barrister in a past life. So there may be some inside baseball here, uh, as our American cousins say. Um, so th- this week, as you know, Barry, as a, as a listener to the, to the, to the pod... Um, we, we always kick off with a quiz with three questions. Normally it's, it's about the topic, but I thought this week what we do is start with a quiz to work out whether you'd be any good as a movie lawyer. Okay, so I want to see how you're going to how you're going to translate uh, to, uh, to to a role on screen. So first question I've got is <clears throat> what type of movie lawyer are you? And really there are only two here. Okay, so are you a big city lawyer or a small town lawyer? I'd like to know what you think you are first. Doesn't everybody like to think they're the big city lawyer, but most of us are actually the small town lawyer. Uh, so 
on that basis, I'd like to say I, I, I am the country lawyer, the, the little country lawyer who can talk to people in a way that is comprehensible rather than the snotty. Absolutely. I mean, and Barry, I think that's the thing. You know, you pull a jury, a jury of someone's peers and you are, you know, they want to relate to you, barrister, senator, counsel to the International Criminal Court. You know, you're the everyman. <laughs> The great thing is, Barry, we don't need to take your word for it. I've got a couple of questions here to work out what type of uh, oh, lawyer you are. Thank God, Michael. So um, I, when, you're, when you're appearing in court, what type of shoes do you wear? Do you wear A, a cowboy boot, or B, dress shoes? Yeah, I, I think that's a different type of country lawyer to the one I had in mind. <laughs> okay. but, um, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I, I, wear, I wear very ordinary, as you would call them, dress shoes. But that's a real Americanism, isn't it? It's a very They're just American. ordinary black shoes. Yeah. Ordinary black yeah. shoes. Yeah. Okay, all right. There are. I mean, I feel yeah, that, Michael. You're you're thinking Jimmy Stewart in Anatomy yeah. of a Murder, or you know, anywhere in a John yeah. Grisham novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas wingtips. For we actually, I mean, there are there are barristers in 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 Dublin and in the rest of Ireland who sort of come into a courtroom, and they look like they might be just a well-to-do country doctor who's got a briefcase that has every trick and like they're as comfortable mm-hmm. delivering a calf. As, you know, fixing up a shin, yeah, a bruised yeah. shin. Well, you're not scoring any points on the shoe test, Barry, but maybe you'll, you'll do better on this, on this next one. What type of car do you drive? So obviously, like, top points here would be some sort of pickup truck. Second sort of category would be sort of a, a, a battered old, uh, old car you've had for, for years. And then, you know, I mean, the worst would be some sort of kind of city, city runabout. So as a, as a small I, I town... I feel lawyer, a little what, bit set up on this one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also, Michael, that you 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 set this up as what type of lawyer are you? Yeah. But now it's determined you can only succeed if you're one. Like you yeah, get yeah. nothing for being the city lawyer. This is, is that right? st- no, this is still the first question. We've got a whole lot of things I think to I go like through. I'd like to say, Michael, as well, that if you're actually the movie small town lawyer, you don't have any car because you've been taken off the roads because you've been caught <laughs> because drunk you're driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and true. You cycle yeah, crookedly to work down to <laughs> in Mississippi or somewhere like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the pickup truck then Barry yeah that's what I'm, I'm I'm marking it down on here yeah you you do whatever you feel you need to <laughs> okay all right um okay well well I mean in inconclusive Again, that's there something Barry says to the jury quite a lot and <clears throat> most of his clients have been convicted <laughs> um so which of these things have you done in court Barry um and Hugh have you done any of these things you know feel yeah, feel free thanks I, I've been a barrister on the podcast for the last 50 episodes, but apparently it's irrelevant. Uh, Barry, do you ever meander around the court while, while addressing the jury or questioning a witness? Well, I, this is a very interesting question, Michael, and it's certainly one that I would like to answer. However, before I do, I'd like to answer the question I wish you had asked, which is, okay. is, is one of the things about uh, one of the things I, about legal dramas is that they give people a totally false impression of what we do in court. And you've just mm-hmm. highlighted that by asking that question. We don't walk around in Ireland. We're very grounded. OK, OK. Okay. All right. All right. Well, maybe not. Maybe not going to be great on screen, though. So that's fine. That's fine. Um, it's much have, easier on a screen. You just stay put. <laughs> Camera doesn't have to move at all. Have you Have you ever shouted the words "move to strike"? <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm around you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever, uh, sort of, uh, under your breath, asked the judge for a sidebar? 
Is that a thing? Is that what is that some kind of like alcohol delivery mechanism? <laughs> I don't from, think we have that. <laughs> from what I understand, that's where you want to say something to the judge that you don't want anyone else to hear, which it seems seems questionable, I have to say. Yeah. You see me in chambers kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. we don't do that. I um, would like to ask Barry what I suppose and, and again, we're not real shouters in court in Ireland, but what's the what have you said loudest in a court? And or maybe you've shouted lots of things, but I'd like to know the the most strange yeah, sentence I, that you've said shouter. in a loud tone. Um, mm. I've certainly said things I am proud of. Uh, when I was in my, I think first year at the bar, I was involved in a relatively long running inquest involving. Um, well, actually, I won't give the circumstance in case it's revealed, but a relatively long running inquest. <laughs> And I remember having an exchange with the coroner, Dr. Brian Farrell, as he then was. He was a, a, an absolute gentleman who had the good courtesy not to expose how stupid the thing I said was. <laughs> and um, I don't know whether it was my leaving cert English that came back to me or what, but I was pushing a point and he kind of gave me the opportunity to walk away. And instead, I quoted a line from Macbeth being, I'm in, <laughs> in blood stepped in so far. <laughs> and of course, it was in front of a jury. And if ever there were a moment when you realised that you had no possibility of being able to connect with the jury on an ordinary <laughs> level, that was it. So that's one thing that I'm definitely ashamed of. I've been. You 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 should have maybe used a line from Friends or something instead, Barry. Like, could I could I be any more out of my depth? You know, something like that. I think that would connect. No, I have I haven't done anything like that. I did. Uh, I responded to a district judge once when um, he. I was I was trying to kind of parse the the offending history of the person I was representing, and and I said uh, the the guard had just re read out some seventy or eighty previous convictions, and I said to this judge, you know, well, obviously he has a slightly checkered past, and uh, the judge took some exception to my <laughs> paraphrasing it in those terms, and and asked me if I even spoke English, and I told him that I did, and I was also well versed in sarcasm. <laughs> which is not an appropriate thing to say to a judge but so I've said things I shouldn't have said and mm. he was again gracious enough not to come down on me like a ton of bricks but I got I got shouted at by a judge Barry will know who who the judge was a very angry and scary district judge for um people starting off at the bar and she got very upset with me when I she caught me. I didn't think she did see me rolling my eyes at something she'd said. It's not a good move. And I think that's the closest I've ever got to being held in contempt and yeah. locked up. But um, fi Final question, Barry. I mean, on the basis of your answer so far, you would not be a good movie lawyer, so I don't think that movie deal is coming through. Um, but maybe this last one will, will save you. Um, I'm assuming, like all good movie lawyers, you, you personally involve yourself in the investigation of the crime, right? Like, it's not, you don't just show up at the court, right? You, you're out there at night. <laughs> well, such is the state of the bar in Ireland that not only do you turn up to court not having investigated, but there have been moments in my career when I have turned up not even knowing the nature of the case and opening a folder that is handed to you moments before you go into court. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen anymore. That was when I was very inexperienced and, and cavalier about matters. But uh, no, no investigation, Michael. Sorry. Again, mm. you're fine. I was so. once I was once called by a solicitor and asked if I could deal with a case. And uh, I said, yeah, that's fine. What court is it? And he knew that. And he said, it's in court three. And I said, OK. And, and what's the what's the charge? And he said, I don't know, you'll have to find out. And I said, okay, well, what's the client's name? And he said, no, you'll have to find that out as well. 
so I just <laughs> wandered around the court, seeing if I could find someone looking as lost as I felt. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. You wonder why I didn't last at the bar. Yeah, didn't you? <laughs> that judge you mentioned who caught you you rolling your eyes. I'm pretty sure if I know who it is, I had my worst day ever at the bar. Uh, before her and it was in the district court it was then sitting in dolphin house and i was going down for um what we call a section 99 where somebody's been given a suspended sentence on the condition that they don't don't do anything bad and he had done something and he was coming back in he arrived two minutes before the court sat in cuffs with the uh, uh with the handcuffs for the prison service because he'd obviously uh, i don't know why he was in prison because all i had from the solicitor was a yellow page with some squiggles on it and his name and that was it and I remember trying to piece together what it was. And Dolphin House is a family court, so we were the only criminal matter. So we were, of course, called first, which means that the court is jammed with all the other lawyers who are waiting to get on. And you have to deal with the first. And this particular judge is not a patient person and was yeah. very exasperated at the fact that I didn't have a comprehensive rundown of what the case was about and continually cut me off as I was trying to explain to her <laughs> or and failing to answer her questions. And eventually the punter realized that i wasn't helping him really and in front of this packed court just i goes no you just stay out of it <laughs> fired me on my feet in front of the whole court but it was of course the solicitor's fault because i was not properly instructed and and i couldn't possibly accept well the possibility. It's, it's funny because that same judge once pretty much said that to me and told my client to fire me yeah because i didn't too. have a clue what i was doing and uh he did so <laughs> Yeah, another great day in yeah. his legal career. <laughs> At least he got some good legal advice that day anyway, I suppose. <laughs> um, okay, well, Barry, look, not a good movie lawyer. Perhaps you're a half-decent movie senator, but we'll, <laughs> we'll find that out in another episode, I guess. Um, so I, what I want to do now is get into the into the pros and cons, what you like, what you don't like about, about courtroom dramas. Um, Barry, is there anything that, that really gets your goat when you're sitting down uh, and watching... Uh, uh, watching a, a good courtroom drama, and either film or a TV show. Ah, oh, see inaccuracy. It's um, <laughs> there's a term that we use at the bar. Sorry, there's a term that we use at the bar, which is a matlock moment, and it is this notion that legal dramas give you that there is a moment in every case where the smart lawyer will ask that killer question mm-hmm. that the witness can't answer, or suddenly the witness himself often realizes that he's guilty, or whatever it is. But that that silver bullet question that never yeah. actually happens in real life, but mm-hmm. leads people to believe that it does, and then also unfortunately leads clients to believe that you should be asking that question, and you're just okay. too bad a lawyer to be able to ask the question. That can sometimes <laughs> be frustrating. <laughs> I do think though Barry like when you said that you know the 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 dramas aren't realistic in terms of even the moving around the room American courts are much cooler than ours uh, though they yeah. do lots of mo- running around and shouting and playing videos yeah. and hammering well, things on the stand. Also because most courtroom dramas take place in studios, so there's lots of space for people to move around, <laughs> which isn't the case in a lot of Irish courtrooms either. Uh, I actually was in court in America just in the last week, which is for my first time, really, I think, um, joining somebody uh, to, to address a, an issue that I'm looking into. But um, the courtrooms actually in real life seem to be smaller than they are in, in dramas, but uh, definitely in America, and this is the other thing that, 
irks me is that people think that American laws, and Michael, you asked me there about sidebars and objections and move mm. to strike and all that kind of stuff. They, of course, form no part whatsoever of mm. life in a courtroom in Ireland. But people have this expectation that you should be objecting to things and um, mm. asking witnesses if they can handle the truth and that kind of thing. Um, but the in America, definitely, there is more of a culture of drama associated with courtroom activities mm. generally but the rules of evidence are also much easier or much looser over there than they are here so you in, in a criminal trial for example in ireland you cannot just introduce let's say a picture of something you have to prove where it came from or as i recently uh, was at a talk by an american trial lawyer he showed us something he had used in the course of a tort case so it was a medical negligence case and they'd put together an animated dramatization of what went wrong in the course of the operation which they played for the jury uh, and again you wouldn't have a jury first of all in a case like that in Ireland you certainly wouldn't have one side's interpretation of what happened being played to them so that kind of thing is a little bit frustrating because it makes for great television but it's not so mm. much for for a justice system you know it is interesting, I think, that in recent years, like whatever about the courtroom dramas, the other genre that has come on to, you know, that, that we've seen have been courtroom documentaries. You know, Making a Murder, yeah, obviously yeah. a very famous one, and there's another one, The Staircase, which I'm sure lots of people will have seen as well. Yeah. And, I mean, it is mad. Like, I mean, yeah, they'll come in, first of all, you know, now obviously these are cases where there's money involved, but like... You know, there's experts from everywhere. There's everyone is getting bags of blood and going to the scene and smashing them open on the stairs and, you know, seeing what would have happened. And I mean, certainly where where my I mean, my legal experience, obviously, I was always very, very junior um, before I left the bar. But it was very much, you know, people ask, like, do you have those amazing things? Do you have these exciting moments? And it's like you're 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 apologizing because your client urinated on a garda car or something like that you know like <laughs> that's one time the... Hugh. <laughs> i said i wouldn't do it again <laughs> and yet you did <laughs> um okay so they're pretty unrealistic uh i get that are there any of these films or shows that you you really like i mean i, I i'm gonna ask either of you like were there any characters or shows that were were part of the reason that you went into law the thing about legal dramas is that they are dramatic and entertaining. So I love watching them, even though I might be shouting at the television every now and then and saying that, that wouldn't happen in real life or whatever it is. Um, and some of them are really stylish. So like you think of things like The Good Wife, you know, it's so well put mm -hmm. together. It's, but it's kind of a political, legal um, drama more than anything else. There's mm. as much there's politics in it as there is, uh, as there is legal drama. Um, and then on the other side, like say A Few Good Men, fantastic film, highly entertaining, but the most stark demonstration that that film shows is not great legal drama, but professional misconduct on Tom Cruise's <laughs> part, like the notion of going into court when you have a notion what's going on is mad. Um, you know, so I suppose there's, there's every part of the spectrum all the way across. There's def there definitely aren't people in legal dramas who inspired me to go into the law. I could say okay. that, definitely. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Not what I was, expect I was expecting. Um, yeah, I was thinking through a couple of examples of, of, of the form, right? Obviously, there's a couple of films that jump out. There's To Kill a Mockingbird, Time to Kill, My Cousin Vinny. I don't know if anyone's seen More that. Excellent film. Yeah. Um, a Few Good Men, obviously, which kind of steps into, steps into the military genre as well. And then even Miracle on 34th Street. So you can get sort of, you know, festive uh, legal dramas. Um, 
Then on the, on the TV side, you've got the classics like Perry Mason, uh, things like Law and Order, LA Law. Um, and then even you've got, you know, Irish and UK ones. So Judge John Deed, you know, a, a classic of the form. And then that, that more recent one, Striking Out, which I think was actually based in, in the forecourts, right? In Dublin. I don't know if that was, was that the talk of the town when that show came out, Barry? Yeah, a um, couple of things. Striking Out was less about the courtroom than it was about the drama um, in the lives of the characters. <laughs> okay. So I'm not sure that I'd even categorize that as a legal drama, more a drama okay. that surrounded lawyers <laughs> than, than anything else. <laughs> Judge John Deed, though, what a guy. What a guy. Like, wow. He. The best <laughs> thing about that program was the music. I think, because yeah. everything else yeah. was absolute nonsense. The notion that you're a judge presiding over a trial and you are simultaneously sleeping with one of the counsel and probably a witness as well. <laughs> I mean, the man was insatiable and he, so self-righteous, incredibly he, self-righteous. He punched someone in every episode as well. Yeah, he was always... Right. He was always judges should do that. He was always hitting people. Yeah, yeah. Rain yourself in, John Deed. The problem with a legal drama that's really true to life is that the truer to life it is, the more boring it is because everybody <laughs> thinks risk. you have these these really dramatic moments in every case. And of course you don't. And like your primary job as a lawyer, um, less so maybe as a criminal lawyer than a corporate one, but your primary job is to read stuff and to, mm. to kind of be on top of the detail. And very often you'll spend a lot of time assume, you know, assimilating detail in a particular case that you never actually use. But it's important to have it in case something arises. So I recognize, having criticized them for it, I recognize that legal dramas require the dramatic element to be watchable at all. You bring up a good point, which is that, you know, they should show more of that reading and that research. I think like a montage in every episode would be amazing. Yeah, you know, just, just, just some like fast paced music. Just a footage <laughs> yeah, of a lawyer just, reading a brief. I, I think that would give yeah, a truer just, representation of how we really do. <laughs> Yeah, going to the catalogue in the library, finding a book, finding out it's not the right book. Really, I mean, there's a few core texts that you would use in your area, depending on what area of law you're practicing in. I, I assume you mean things like the U.S. Marine Corps Code of Conduct, stuff like Obviously, that. Obviously, yeah, the King yeah. James Bible. And the King yeah. James Bible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a copy of those on you at all times. Okay, I'm that's by good my bed every night. <laughs> um, okay, well... Right. Okay. I, I take your point. These are these are these are uh, as close to lawyers as superheroes are to real people, probably. But are there any movie or TV uh, lawyers who you'd like to represent you if uh, if you ever needed if you ever needed that? Who who do you want defending your case? I think if I, if ever I was in, in in trouble, I would want. I, are you guys familiar with the TV show Jag? Um, it was probably a 1990s. So Harmon Rab. Yeah who uh, was uh, the judge advocate general in question. Uh, yeah, if ever I were up on uh, in in uh, in some sort of court-martial, I want him on my side. Uh, no, well, sorry, Michael, I know who you want on your side. You want Demi Moore from A Few Good Men because she is your one true love. <laughs> Isn't she your ultimate movie crush? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> yeah. You've said it for as long as I've known you, and you've been, you've been very loyal to, to Demi in that, in that respect. I have. I have. <laughs> She's great. It's a great film. She's great. <laughs> I'll say no more. <laughs> You've said it all now. Uh, what about what about Judge Judy? Because that's the other thing I get asked, Barry, is when you say you're at the bar, some people ask you, is it like suits? 
And then other people ask you, is it like Judge Judy? It's and obviously you say, absolutely. to Judge Judy than suits. <laughs> yeah, people shouting at each other. I mean, that's the thing that, again, again I suppose, and Barry, you would, you know, your practice would take you to, to higher courts than, than I was in. I was primarily in the district court, which is where we all start off as criminal barristers. But, I mean, what people don't understand is, the district court is a circus, you know, there's there's yeah. you have dozens of people. You've got people who are drunk, people who are high, wandering around. You have prison guards, you have lawyers shouting for people, you have people shouting for lawyers. The, I mean, the district court is where it's at. It's the coal face. Yeah. It is a conveyor belt, you're right. And what people don't realise is the amount of work, the number of cases that judges in the district court have to process every day is huge. Um, and I think circuit court's... And, and upwards just couldn't cope with that um but the best stories are in the district court as well you know that's where the funniest moments happen where where things are happening on the hoof and without the same level of preparation without the same level of even information i mean in in the circuit court and the central criminal court when you're doing a trial you really know everything that's you, you know the answer to every question before it's asked mm. that is sadly not true when you're handed a flimsy file as you walk in the door of a district court and told uh, to defend the case just as the case is called yeah there's a there's another and district district judges are are definitely a a, a class unto themselves yeah. as well it's a particular type. there's a judge who um the week before Cheltenham came into court and handed out his tips for every race for Cheltenham to anyone who was in the courtroom, you know, and then went and sat and presided over <laughs> a list of 80 criminal cases. <laughs> but, you know, he just thought everyone deserves to know who, who I'm going with. And in fairness, the man, the man knows his horses. So <laughs> I had a, I had a situation once where my client was standing in the middle of the court, his case had been called and he was standing there as the judge was addressing him. And I think a, a guard was might have been giving evidence, and uh, my client then unwittingly dropped uh, a joint out of his pocket onto the floor of the courtroom, <laughs> which I saw, and the prison guard across the court saw, and then we just sort of were gesturing back at each other, sort of saying, "Well, I'm not going to pick it up." Well, well I'm not going to pick it up. And was he? Now the judge, I think, ultimately never saw it, but he was up on drugs-related charges, so it wouldn't have looked good, you know. And it's a funny thing because I've done prosecution and defense cases you're much more emotionally invested in it from the defense perspective because you build a relationship with mm. the defendant and you're rooting for them, you're doing your best for them. On the prosecution side, thank God, in Ireland, um, although you obviously want the case to go well and you want the case to go right, your job is mm. to get the case to the jury, not to achieve a particular result, be it a, a mm. conviction uh, or a particular sentence. So you're, it's it's less emotional for you on the prosecution side than the defense side but and that's mm. another thing that's hugely different from the system in america like prosecutors in america are there to get a result get a conviction get a long sentence and of course many of them are elected people so they're running for election on strength on the strength of of how many sentences or how many convictions or how long they get people put away for and so you you don't have that in ireland which i think contributes to a much fairer system yeah, um, the prosecutors on someone's ass, the DA's on their ass, and the mayor's on their ass. That's that's what's going on. I know. The but way then I think it's funny Thanks as for that well. Closing analysis, Michael. Everyone's on everyone's ass. <laughs> and it's the thing that people always ask you. I'm sure people ask you, Barry, an awful lot. Is you know, how do you defend someone when you know they're guilty? Yeah. You know, and of course, of course, most of the time you you don't know for yeah. sure. You know, you might have very strong feelings. And of course, the other thing is, I don't know what the stats are, but I'm sure more than ninety percent plead guilty. But you're doing I, a yeah, job, I, I guess. I you know, you're eighty, ninety percent of cases never get to a hearing stage. Yeah, 
And it's very much, it's more about, it's more about forcing the guards and the prosecution to do their job properly than anything else. Yeah, as a a defense counsel. Yeah, as defense counsel, your job is to make sure that they don't just uh, kind of dial it in or whatever, that they actually go through. It's all very well saying these people who are involved in maybe minor thefts, minor drug possession, minor public order issues or assaults or whatever it is, you know, they should all get done by the guards. And, you know, Many of them will get done by the guards. Many of them will get done by the courts. Uh, And maybe that's as it should be. But you have to do it in accordance with the law. And as you say, Hugh, people ask you all the time, how do you defend someone who's guilty? Well, I don't. I defend people who are accused. And Mm. that sounds Mm. really trite to a lot of people. But actually, it's a principle. And I've found increasingly over the years, I actually believe in the principle of innocent until proven guilty. But I also say... Very few of my the guys I represent are innocent, but some of them are not guilty as charged. No, Barry, that makes um, sense. And you don't come across as either smug uh, or self-satisfied, which is how I've seen you described on, on national you see, TV. Yeah, Michael, when you say that, it requires explanation. <laughs> well, please, please give people the explanation. <laughs> Many years ago, when Michael was a single man, or just recently married, in fact, I was on um, the. Tonight I was on my honey. I was actually on my honeymoon, Barry. You if you must know. Yeah. Michael used to give me a hand because um, he he would make yeah he give me a hand occasionally with a, with a bit of video work whatever. And I was on the Tonight Show with I. I mean Gates. that requires explanation, Barry. <laughs> my God, political videos, political videos. But I was on the Tonight Show and Ivan Yates. I, I can't even remember what the issue was, but I was defending something, and uh, he was like Barry Ward. You know, you're sitting there all smug and self satisfied. And I made that mistake that um, they, the, the political, when you do media training, they always tell you, don't repeat the premise of the question. So I said, not at all, Ivan. I am not smug. Nor, I'm neither smug nor self-satisfied. And so off we went. And thankfully, the, there were no sequelae from it as far as I could see. And Michael and, uh, and his lovely bride and new, new wife, as he was, were on their honeymoon down in, in, in a hotel. And they had happened to turn on the television while I was on. And taken a photograph of the screen while I was there. That's an insight into my honeymoon. <laughs> we were there watching watching you on TV3, yeah. <laughs> well, so Michael took this photograph and sent it to me. But what he also added in, it had obviously my name under me, Councillor Barry Ward, as I then was. And underneath it, it has neither smug nor self-satisfied. And I was astonished at this. But I also kind of thought, fair dues to the producer in TV3 who put that up. Like, it's a bit of, <laughs> it's a bit of wish and take, take the piss out of me, whatever. So I took the picture and tweeted it. I was like, thanks very much at VMTV or whatever the, ha- whatever the handle for the Tonight VMTV, whatever the handle was at the time. Thanks very much, guys, or something like that. Uh, and off I went happily enough, forgot about it. But there must have been somebody in... TV3 going, who's your man? And what the hell is this picture? Because Michael, of course, had added in himself the words, neither smug nor self-satisfied. And I just hadn't copped that. I thought that was actually on the screen. But I was delighted. I was delighted. It was a big win yeah, for me. Sure, you're very yeah. easy to delight, Michael. <laughs> it's true. A ball of string will usually do it. Um, so, Barry, do you think in general, and, and Hugh, too, um, Thanks. do you think in general... When you're watching when you're watching a courtroom drama you're sitting there thinking i could do a better job at this you know get that matthew mcconaughey out of here get me in there this thing is done you know i don't actually i don't because <laughs> no. this is actually scripted you know it's um <laughs> the thing about the thing about a real trial is you're only as good as your last question and the mm. next one could be an absolute clanger 
Um, there's a story about a late great colleague of ours at the bar who was actually an exceptional cross-examiner. But um, we, when we teach advocacy, we talk to them all about, um, you know, the maxim is that you don't actually go, you, you don't ask the one that's one too many, you sit down and then afterwards you explain to the jury how, what the impact of what they said was. But he asked that one that was one too many and uh, the witness saw what was happening and went, oh, no, 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 no. I actually wasn't there that day or something like that. Whatever it was, it explained okay. away okay. all the good work he had done for maybe half an hour of cross-examination. And so that's always likely to happen to you at any moment. Now, the difference between that individual and me is that he knew how to handle it because instead of sitting down in a deflated state, realizing that you'd made a mess of it, he turned to the jury, stared at them directly in the eye and said, precisely. And then sat down. <laughs> so the jurors are very, ooh, I, I mustn't have understood that. I, he must have won that point, you know. But uh, whereas the rest of us were just like, oh, no, I can't believe I did that. And the reality is that your next question is always a potential, oh, no, I can't believe I did that. So <laughs> if, if we could script the trials, I'd be every bit as good as those guys. But unfortunately, a trial is a moving, living thing, and you never know what's around the next corner. But uh, there, there are difficulties sometimes when you're for the prosecution because when you call a witness, you're not allowed to lead the witness. So leading questions are banned here as well as in, in the United States and in other places. Um, and some Give us an example of that, Barry. Ask me, ask me without leading me. Without leading you? Yeah. Well, the, the point about a leading question is it doesn't suggest an answer. So it would be, okay. what is your name? Okay. Whereas, Michael? what is your name, okay. Michael, would be a leading question. <laughs> okay, you know? that's, that's, a, that's a particularly <laughs> poor of, example. I, <laughs> <laughs> but Barry, I want to know. To give, give, I want to explore this leading leading question thing. So you're trying to work out. Let's say I committed a crime on a bus. You're trying to you're Allegedly. trying to put me put me in the frame. How does how does that how does that go? Although you would you'd be leading me you there. wouldn't but but what because very often the prosecution doesn't get to cross-examine the actual defendant but okay. they'll be calling the guard so let me give you an example right the, in public order offenses which are pretty common in the district court one of the elements almost of all of the offenses under the criminal justice public order act is that they happened in a public place and the definition okay. of a public place is fairly broad anyway mm -hmm. and you'd be asking the guard the question but from the prosecution perspective you want the guard to say uh, on O'Connell Street in Dublin, a public place. Mm -hmm. And he was staggering all over the place and he fell over twice while I was watching him. And okay. uh, when I approached him, there was a smell of alcohol from his breath and uh, he was, his eyes were glazed and his speech was slurred. The, the, there's a thing called the Templemore Four, the eye, glazed <laughs> eyes, tem <laughs> slurred speech, unsteady in the feet and smell of alcohol. That's what the guards okay. use to say okay. that you're drunk. Any, any one or, okay. or all of those four. So you've given That's that evidence. That's actually but if the, my Tinder profile as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the, but he or she will fairly reasonably assume, well, everybody knows O'Connell Street and they know it's a public place and won't feel the need to say a public mm. place, but he must or she must actually give evidence that it's a public place. So if you're the prosecutor in that case, trying to get somebody to say the words a public place yeah. can sometimes be really difficult because you cannot say is that a public place guard? Because that's a leading question because it suggests okay. a particular answer. So you have to beat around the bush. And sometimes you'll hear people saying, and what kind of place is that guard? <laughs> well, it was wet that night, or it was very dark, or it was an awful lot of litter around, or whatever it is. But how would you describe the place? Well, you know, it's it's very dark and it's very busy. As, you know, Spacious, well lit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of like the Champs-Élysées of Ireland or whatever it might be, you know. 
<laughs> it's you know so trying to get them to say that without leading welcoming to tourists of all nations yeah 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 but i suppose your 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 two jobs you know potentially can collide are you ever in a uh are you ever in a sort of a a, a a senate inquisition are you ever in senate hearings is that is that a thing that happens or is that a movie only thing no um, oh. you're watching too much C-SPAN um, we don't, I'm we watching don't too really much do... Godfather 2 actually yeah yeah exactly we don't I mean that's not really an issue okay. now that said okay. but there, so there aren't Senate acquisitions aren't Senate hearings you're never there saying well I think we've heard quite enough from this gentleman things like that no no unfortunately not again not only are the courts much less dramatic than you imagine Michael but the Shannon is too <laughs> Um, I will say we talk I mean I was going to say we're talking about courtroom dramas we're not really we're asking Barry what life in court is like (laughs) but in terms of courtroom dramas dramas, (laughs) let's let's go back to what type of shoes you wear Barry (laughs) but one of but one of the best courtroom dramas is not a courtroom drama at all it's a jury room drama which is 12 Angry Men I mean there's an unbelievable and of course where you I mean what happens in that case is you have a juror who's just got I suppose both an incredible mind in terms of reasoning something out and also an incredible willingness to leap to various conclusions and <laughs> yeah, convince yeah. other people of them. Yeah. But uh, one of the great films, I would argue. I yeah. think that should be mandatory viewing for jurors. You should have mm. to sit through that yeah. film before you get to sit <laughs> on a jury. It's a, I mean, they remade it with Jack Lemmon there uh, about 10 years ago or maybe more. Um, right. And it's just super because it's exactly what a jury should do is to critically yeah. analyze the evidence. But you can understand why they often don't um, or might not. And I think that there are so many psychological factors at play in a jury decision, um, not least of which is peer pressure, you know. And mm. I think if, like in, in that, in the original, Henry Fonda, I think, was the juror who raised an issue. Didn't even do it initially, but raised an issue and the issue just grew and grew and grew and more and more jurors saw the wisdom of what he was saying and applied mm. what they're told to do in, to render a verdict in accordance with their with the evidence and their oath and all the rest. But um, it must be so easy to go into a jury room as one of 12 and have 11 people saying he's definitely guilty or he's definitely not guilty, not agreeing with them, but ultimately going with the flow. Mm. And in fact... which which. Sorry. Sorry, go on. Well, I just say, like, one person won't stop it anyway, because ultimately people can be convicted or quitted by a 10-2 majority or an 11-1 majority, but they don't know that at that stage, or at least they're not supposed to know it at that stage. But yeah, so that's the thing. They, they basically lie to juries, don't they? Yeah, lie is such a strong word. Mislead. You know? They mislead juries, and that's They accurate. tell jurors what they need to know at that juncture in the proceedings. Well, they tell them that you need you what you need to return a, 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 a unanimous, unanimous verdict. verdict, and at that and then, at that point, that is true. Okay, uh, because the judge is not entitled. Um, although this is not written down in the law, it is a generally accepted standard. The judge is not entitled to give what's called the majority charge uh, until after more than two hours have elapsed of jury deliberation. So, okay. what the judge says to them when they go out is quite correct. It okay. must be a unanimous verdict. And when that situation changes, she or he will bring them back in and say, right, you've been at this now for X amount of time, so actually I will accept a majority. But they, they couldn't accept okay. a majority at the outset. So, you okay. know, I wouldn't accuse the judges of lying quite as quickly as you did, Michael. <laughs> Fair. So, so, guys, I mean, obviously, uh, we say courtroom dramas are pretty inaccurate, but at the same time, we spend a lot of time 
talking about the legal arena. So clearly it is an interesting uh, backdrop for uh movies and, and and shows so i'm gonna i'm gonna push you for uh for your for your verdict what do you think are courtroom dramas legitimate like or not despite all their flaws barry I'll, I'll let you as the guest go first um what you say is true michael like they are interesting backdrops there's no two ways about that like all human life goes through our courts and one of the wonderful things about the old four courts was you stood in a corridor in the forecourts before some of the other court buildings were built uh, you would literally see people led past you in handcuffs on their way to a criminal trial you'd see judges going past with their tip staffs with the rods out in front to clear the way for mm-hmm. them you'd see people wheeled by with, with bad back injuries going into a a, you know, a personal injury case you'd see um, people going in to family case you'd see literally every people, color of human life people carrying a large pane of glass across your path things like that yeah well when you take a case and you, you dramatize it by stripping out the boring the reading and the the pro forma bits and the mm-hmm. bits that we all have to go through normally to get cases over the line of course it's fascinating of course it's interesting i wouldn't take away from that and i would even confess that i enjoy a good legal drama myself however <laughs> As to whether it's a legitimate, like, I mean, I've listened to many of your podcasts and like, there's an extent to which I say, well, who the hell are we to say that it's not legitimate to like something? But since that's what you've asked me to do, the big problem I have is the uh, preconceptions it gives people about how the system does or doesn't work. Mm. And so for that reason, I am rather pompously going to suggest that they are not legitimate likes. I think on the whole, they, they are problematic. They shall be stricken from the airwaves, Barry. Say no something more. Something like that, Michael. Yeah. Sorry, something, Michael. Something we will say more because point. I have a vote too, Michael. Okay, okay. So back off. <laughs> okay. right. You're, you're really right. not getting a fair crack of the whip at all here. This, is like, this is like the judge who convicts before he's heard the evidence. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Know? Oh, sorry, sorry. Did you want to say something, Council? Go, go on. I was coming on to, uh, to this podcast, I think probably to vote in favour, but partly because of what Barry said about arguably the danger that can be caused by legal dramas. Um, That has certainly swayed me to some extent. It's also the problem that if it is a 1-1 draw, the producer ends up getting a vote, which I've never agreed with because it's going from having no power at all to having the casting vote. Uh, In this case, it's particularly dangerous. Yeah, and so largely because I just don't want Michael to have a say, but also because I think Barry has made some very interesting points, I am going to vote that legal dramas, courtroom dramas, are not a legitimate like. Wow, Somebody ring Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, guys, that is a... That's a big scalp we've taken today. Michael, Uh, how would you have voted? I love him, obviously, uh, so I would have voted yeah i mean they're definitely it's like you didn't listen to a word i said it's generally that doesn't make it legitimate michael well-dressed people talking well and they're generally not that long films either so you know ticks all the boxes for me god the criteria that (laughs) you need for something to you obviously watch it on your honeymoon any of the john grisham films (laughs) yeah i would i would i i would definitely flick on if i was on my honeymoon and barry wasn't on tv I would flick on a legal drama. Yeah. Yeah. Barry, I suppose we, we got you on as, as an expert in, in the law, I suppose. So, so thank you for that. You do also, for people who want to hear more of 
not necessarily your thoughts on the law, but more of more conversations uh, around the law, which uh, which are, would be chaired by you. Uh, you have a podcast, the Irish Legislation Podcast, which yes, uh, it's very catchily titled, isn't it? Um, mm. Talk about niche audience. Um, is, you didn't is, think about legislation likes? No, that was right there, Barry. <laughs> so you got legitimate yeah. legislation. Um, <laughs> the uh, it's yeah, it's a podcast I've been doing now for a little over a year. Although it started out as a weekly podcast, I confess we have not stuck to that rigidly, uh, which may be even a bit of an understatement. But basically, what we do is the idea initially was that we would look at a different piece of legislation every week, and we'd have people on to talk about it, pros and cons, but also to look at the process. And actually, I think some of the more interesting episodes have been with people who are involved behind the scenes in legislation, talking about the steps that goes through and all the rest. Because, I mean, I don't deny that I'm I'm a terrible nerd, but I really think the legislative process is fascinating, um, both before it gets to Leinster House and as it goes through Leinster House. Um, so it's it's just an attempt to kind of expose some of the interesting aspects of that. I hope we've succeeded in some respects, but uh, there will be another episode out, I hope, in the coming week or two uh, about tipping legislation that, that's coming from the Department of Enterprise to allow uh, restaurant workers to keep the tips that are given to them by the punters. But um, mm. it's a niche audience, but I, it's actually, it's gotten a much bigger um, following than I ever thought it would. And we're repeatedly impressed by the number of people who actually download the episodes and listen to them so to all of those people who undoubtedly listen to your podcast as well uh Hugh, thank you very much to them and and we'll we'll hopefully get back on the air uh, asap and barry if you ever want to move away from having informed guests on the show we're more than happy to fill in uh for you as yes as i did for you here this evening <laughs> <laughs> well Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you, Barry, for coming on. It's been great to have you here. Thank you, Michael, for producing, as always. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Legitimate Likes. We very much hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and we hope you've you've learned something as well about courtroom dramas, but also maybe about the real, the real courtroom, the real drama in law, the drama of real life. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please recommend it to a friend. Please uh, go back. If you've only started listening recently, go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. We've got quite a big back catalogue across a very broad and bizarre range of topics. Um, follow and subscribe to us on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at Legitimate Likes. Let us know what you would like to hear next. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you think of us. Let us know your favourite legal drama. And until the next time, it's goodbye from Barry. Goodbye. Goodbye from Michael. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.